Hey guys, Matt from Back Yourself Fitness here and welcome to the latest episode of the Back Yourself Podcast. Bit of an exciting one today. It is the first Back Yourself Podcast on location. Um, I am here at Coops at Carcinine, specifically at the Praxis End, Praxis Physio. Um, Before we get into any of that, if you haven't listened to the last episode that I put out talking about fitness challenge truths, go back and have a listen. It's that time of year where every gym, every PT has a challenge running. Hey, back yourself included, we have a challenge running as well, but you need to know how to approach it. You need to have a plan in place. You need to have some honest chats with yourself. And I'll be frank with you, if you're not willing to make change, you will not change. But we also have a look at some truths from the gym's end. So some little sneaky bits and pieces that you may not recognize or you may not know when it comes to things like meal plans and bits and pieces, but go back and have a uh, listen to the last episode. We go through all that in there. Today's guest is from, as I said, Praxis Physio. I am joined by Stephen. Thanks, mate. No, no worries. Thanks for having me. No worries, brother. Um, like I said, first one on location. I- Exciting. Um, yeah. All the equipment works. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Winning. Um, so in today's episode, we're going to go through, and we kind of had a quick chat briefly before I turn everything on. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to know, obviously, about Praxis, what it is, what goes on. Um, I want to know how you got into it. I want to know how you approach clients. I want to know just general physio and mobility questions. And then I want to know more about yourself and how you approach your own training, nutrition, mobility, etc. Sure. Um, But before we get into any of that, like I said before we turned on, we have 10 quick questions. I do this for everyone. No worries. It's a whole mix of questions. I say quick. It could take 20 minutes. (laughs) No worries. It's all good. Yeah. Hit me. Uh, um, So question number one, what style of training do you use? Uh, I use a mix. Predominantly, I use uh, weights if I'm feeling frustrated. I find weights is a really nice little outlet for me, particularly um, sometimes being my industry. Uh, I like to hit the gym. Um, Plus, I'm at Coops, so I have an excellent gym at at hand, so I just hit that up. Um, But I also like to do cycling. So, um, for example, yesterday I did a 60K ride with a mate. I find that a really nice way to kickstart a day, get out see brisbane from a different perspective yeah you know go along we did a river loop yesterday it was fantastic so yeah, cool. find it's a really nice way to socialize with mates that isn't at a pub yeah so it's, exactly. a, it's a really nice way of doing it yeah they're uh, pretty much my predominant too yeah. so from a non-cyclist you say yes. 60k and my yep. brain goes holy christ it, do you find 60k is it hard or is it just i'm cruising not um, cruising but it depends on how hard you push yep. hills are never fun yeah uh, i don't care what anyone says um like doing kutha for example is like 40 minutes of pain yep. um but it's good pain it's like anything else you get that endorphin rush at the end of it and yep. i think um i'm a big kind of um you know a ticker box kind of guy if yep. that makes sense i get a really good dopamine release when i do something I'm like yes i'm gonna set out 60k or two hours or whatever it is it sounds impressive in my own head. So if I do it, yes, tick. Yeah, cool. Wonderful. I set myself up for the day and I'm, and I'm ready to go. So yeah. uh, it sounds a lot. It's not really. It's, you know, at the end of the day, um, we, we try and push ourselves. My friend has a good saying that if you're not pedaling, you might as well be in a lazy boy. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we try and push ourselves pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. cool. You touched on something there and I kind of went, yeah, sweet. We're very similar task orientation yeah yeah sweet that sounds ridiculous i'm gonna do that yeah exactly and, and i'm gonna finish it and yeah. yeah cool exactly particularly when as you said i was a non-cyclist nine months ago yeah and um the thought of doing 100k like i've done a couple of um charity rides now for 100k yeah cool um and basically just went well that sounds ridiculous let's give that a crack yeah. um and then you kind of get you know i've been a bit of a watcher of like the tour de france for example yep over the years and you know to see those guys at the pinnacle of their sport doing the things that they do which is superhuman yeah and you go 
you just get a real appreciation for that. And I think from my perspective as a physio, trying to treat as many sports people and just recreational punters, I try and get a good appreciation of the, why they're coming in or the task that they're trying to, trying to deal with. So if I don't know what, what 60Ks feels like on a bike or if I don't know what a run of 10Ks feel like or a tennis server, a soccer a drive or something like that or a golf swing, then I, I'm probably going to do them at a service and just guess. Yep. I'm not a big fan of guessing. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's... I've once again I have a similar philosophy in the sense that I'm not going to put someone through something that I can't do yeah, from correct. a PT standpoint yeah definitely because I can go this is what it feels like yeah exactly uh, obviously some of the more uh, professional guys that I deal with their their job is to be better at me hopefully than in some some areas so um, I won't be able to do all the things they can do but I can at least uh, provide a rationale as to why I'm giving it to them yeah so that's all that matters yeah cool second question how many coffees a day uh, I'm usually a minimum two to three guy on a guy. Yep. Uh, I have one early in the morning, which I love part of my routine. I'm big about routines. Uh, another one, maybe when I get to work and like today, uh, will be one after lunch yep. usually. So that's a, that's a good day for me. How do you have them? Um, morning is like a long black with a dash of milk. Yep. And then I go to like a skinny cap throughout the day. Yeah. Okay. Just to really, if I miss, I often am quite busy with work. Um, so I'll sometimes miss lunch and then, um, the Coffee usually gets me through to my afternoon break, and then I'm I'm good from there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a bit of milk helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's an exercise that you think has great benefit? One specific exercise. Um, uh, in like in gym setting or anything, anything. Throw it, whatever. Throw yeah, it. Yeah, sure. I reckon. I think. Uh, I reckon overhead press. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yep. Or like a particularly a barbell press. I think. Particularly, it's really hard to do that slowly. It, it's a good way of developing upper body power and keeping the upper body power. So I think as we age, we tend to lose a lot of upper body power. And I think that's one of the first things, as I said, people lose, generally speaking, is power. Endurance become better and better at. Strength, you can obviously always increase, but power is a really nice sign that you're starting to deteriorate potentially. So yep. I like that as just a nice one. You know, it's, yeah. it's easy. You only need a barbell with some weights. Happy days. I, um, I, uh, I notice when, when people do overhead press you can really see people's lack of mobility mm-hmm. or range of movement yep. like and what actually kicks in yeah definitely. To, to, to help out they have really nice it's easy to see strategies so um whether that be positive or negative um, ways that they do things um the other probably alternative to that or addition to that is then keep that with an overhead squat like an overhead like you use even if you're using a um a broomstick yeah you can have a look at how they do things as you said mobility is a big one you see straight away they fall out of the pelvic orientation or something like that yeah um or they they can't move through the thorax you're like okay great well that's a few nice places we can start Mm. or it might explain some other things um i have a i have a particular um uh, i suppose love for a lunge as well or a split squat should i say um i as a therapist see a lot of value in that as an assessment tool it tells me a lot immediately of how they move um and i suppose any again strategies that they may have whether that's good or negative um to be able to get through their everyday tasks so i love a lot every pretty much every patient i see will make i'll make them do a lunge yep i love it it's great yeah i am coming from having supremely tight hips (laughs) yeah um i am big with especially with the guys that i train on being able to control and get the glutes doing work yeah definitely and like so many people i've got a, f- a top five push-ups squats yep. lunges plank sit-ups yep they from what i've seen they're the exercises that get done the worst yep and they're the most basic yeah so when i see lunges a lot people are so dead straight and their knee rolls in and yeah, yeah definitely and like i think from my perspective again as you said it really highlights their flaws really quickly in a one one-stop shop kind of exercise 
I liked it as, and you think about particularly people who want to run or, you know, it mimics that athletic position really, really nicely. Um, and so you can go, well, if you can't do a really nice lunge, how are you expecting to run 10K or something or change direction really positively uh, or powerfully? Like you said, with your knee rolling in, for example, we know that that's probably an indication that their, their hips may not be as strong as what they need to be or you know, they haven't quite got the control through their feet or whatever the case may be. But we can look at that, assess that further and go, bang, that's a really nice outcome measure for us to use. Look at you six weeks ago versus look at you now. Look at the control you have through your pelvis. That's great. So yeah. that's a really nice one. Um, and I suppose, uh, <laughs> don't ask me why, but I spent two years of my life looking at single leg squats as a master's thesis. I, mm. I, did, um, I looked at that and um, again, similar similar vein of thought, the, the single leg squat is another one of those that I, I tend to use a lot. They're, they're my favorites. Yeah, cool. Um, flip side of all of that, what's mm. an exercise you think has minimal benefit? I don't think there is such a thing. I think if anyone has the, even if it's that fleeting moment of motivation to do something, I think that is better than nothing every day of the week. Um, if it is the catalyst for you to get off your backside or away from your desk, and even if that's you standing up, then that is enough for me. Because that's, uh, it's a starting point for you to build on. It's everything's like a building block. You think about a wall doesn't like a brick by brick doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen by accident. So I think if you can use that as your first foundational brick to move onwards, then happy days for me. So that's such a cool, like you've just come at it from a completely different angle. It's Mm. myself um, and the two other trainers that I've spoken to previously, because we're so let's think about, you know, what exercise gives us benefit mm. and you've just gone, you've completely attacked yeah. it a different way. Well, also. I think, don't get me wrong, people butcher exercises all the time. But yep. that's not, yeah, I think if, anything that gets people motivated to do something or at least see improvement, I like to really set patients and, and people up for success. And if they can't do that very well one day and then turn around and do it well the next day, that's a measurement of success and they can see that. And then all of a sudden you get this, this ball rolling and then they're away. And that might be, as I said, the catalyst that might change their life. You never know. Yeah, cool. Um, this is a very broad question and I, I don't know if there is an answer to this. Sure. For the average person, yes. how much time would you recommend? Let's go, let's keep it simple, per day. Mm-hmm. How much time would you recommend that they be doing stretching or mobility per day? Sure. Um, I... I have a bit of a controversial view on stretching generally. Um, mobility work, which I'll get to in a moment, mobility work I'm very comfortable with, depending on obviously you, the demands that your day-to-day work takes you through. So if you're a bricklayer, for example, or a concreter versus someone who sits at a desk, you're obviously going to be, need very different ways of you know getting your body prepared for the activities you're doing. Stretching, look, without going heaps into it, we might go into it later, but um, I'm a big believer that you need strength before you need length. Um, ultimately, if you're not strong enough to control your, you know, your joints or your spine or your pelvis or whatever the case may be, invariably your body has a strategy to lock that up and control what it can control. And it does that by uh, reducing the amount of available range it can give you. Mm. Right? So I think stretching is important, particularly if it's a psychological component, like a lot of people before sport, before activity, like to stretch. I think there, are, there is some evidence out there if you do prolonged stretching before our activity, it actually reduces your output. So from my perspective, I'm not a massive advocate for it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's, uh, there's elements. I'd rather dynamic stretching, for example, like yeah. take you through range and mimic the task that you're about to do. And that's, that's something I'm, I'm a 
bit of a, I believe in more strongly because I, I don't ever stretch. I feel like I don't have any issues. I can I can do everything I want to do, but I don't stretch. Yeah, I, I mobilize, but I don't stretch. Are you a foam roller? Uh, yes and no. I think if it feels good. I like to mobilize my thoracic spine if I've been sitting for a long period of time and they're about to do overhead lifting. Yep. No worries with that. Uh, I don't. There's no evidence in my mind for some of the stuff that foam rolling claims. So I don't tend to do. I like it for some things if it makes you feel good. Don't don't get me wrong. Go for gold. Yeah. Like um, I think anything that makes you feel good and prepares you uh, better or makes you recover better than at least mentally, then go for gold. Yeah, I like for um, for my guys. I don't really like the only real stretching in inverted commas we'll do is if we do like almost a yoga style session. Yeah, great. So yeah, yeah, it's it's i don't want to be like cool let's stretch our hamstrings yeah sitting on the ground yeah. yeah so sustained loading for example like an isometric hold mm. at a range i again that's that's fine we know that isometric holds are excellent for tendons for example so yeah. if you've got a particular pathology that needs your tendon to be loaded in a nice position like a calf raise hold or something like that then they're great go for gold but we i just don't feel often that um Stretching give you all the benefits that other things might give you bang for buck wise. I'd yep. rather you do some strengthening exercise on that muscle, say for example, your glutes, yep. than to sit there all day and stretch the bejesus out of them and get you nowhere. Because ultimately tomorrow it's probably going to tighten up because everything you've just done is the same as it was yesterday. I, um, I feel like there's a bit of a misconception and a very dangerous one about, oh geez, I'm really, really sore today from deadlifts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stretch like yeah. my hamstrings. Yeah, it makes... Ooh, yeah. yeah, it makes... Yeah, that, again, I think people do that. But what you're probably doing is just getting the... You're changing the neural input into your muscle, the perception of stretch rather than actually... Because you think about a tissue. If I tried to... If I thought in my head, if I'm stretching something, I'm physically lengthening it in that 30 seconds. Imagine if you got hit in a tackle. Your structures are far more stronger than what we give them credit for. As I said, if you think you're stretching and changing the actual tissue length in that time, you're not. We, we know there's evidence to say that what you're doing is as i said you're, you're changing the way that your nerves are interacting with that muscle allowing you more stretch or your perception of stretch is changing because as i said if you you know you pick up a shopping bag the amount of weight that through your arm is going to pull your arm off or stretch or tear all your muscles it's not going to work like that yeah so, um so yeah that's a basic uh, as i said it's a bit controversial um happy to be um persuaded but in my experience particularly with a lot of the guys that i deal with stretching sometimes is a highway to nowhere yeah uh similar vein do you think there's such a thing as overtraining absolutely there is 100 we know that there's some really good evidence for overtraining um from a biochemical standpoint we know from a mental fatigue standpoint um you're more much more prone to having injuries um there's some pretty cool studies out there that um things like sleep changes um particularly with say young fathers as a as I mentioned to you before, I'm a, I'm a new dad, so uh, I have a six-week-old at home, and there's some good evidence in the AFL that those new dads, for example, are much more prone to having soft tissue injuries during that first six to eight weeks of a child's life because of the change in their sleeping patterns. So I think anything that changes um, sleep or you train too much, then yes, you can. That being said, I don't. That's a physical training load. I don't think there's too much. Um, out there that I'm aware of in terms of mental rehearsal. I think that's really important. I think that's where some athletes probably go wrong is that um, they probably just do the task a lot um, as opposed to stopping and thinking about the task that they're trying to achieve really well. And I think mental rehearsal is a really nice way of getting over that, um, you know, smashing yourself too much too often. Yeah. I, in my opinion, like, I feel like there's always something that can be done. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like kind of similar, I feel like there's, you can overstress your body. 100%. 
Yeah. Overtraining, like, I, f- I feel like there's enough different... If you're, like, that active and you want to do something every day, there's enough out there that you can do that you can get away with. Mm. But when you get into the realms of, I'm under the pump at work, I've only slept four hours, mm. and this and that, and whether that the training is contributing to that, mm. that's when you're putting too much toll on your body. I, exactly. If you haven't got the recovery processes in place, i.e. sleep is a, is a valuable one, um, then, of course, you're going to be more prone to things like overtraining. I think, um, you know, but there's... The, body is an amazingly remarkable um piece of kit like you think about i watched a documentary recently about a guy who did 50 triathlons in 50 days in 50 states in america so for what he had to mentally and physically go through basically almost died but the long story that's that's a lot of stuff to do you think about people just doing one marathon in their life yeah let alone at the end of a 180k ride and a 4k swim or 3.8 whatever k swim yeah that's incredible. And then to do that 50 days in a row is next level. Yeah. So I think the body is extremely resilient, but you've got to just prepare like anything else. I yeah. think if you go from zero to hero, then you're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. And that's where people typically see me. It's their training parameters. Uh, something's ramped up too quickly. They find themselves with shin pain or knee pain or back pain. And that's when, yeah, yeah. that's when I get involved. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, what's an underrated style of training? Ooh, I think uh, reformer Pilates is an underrated style. So we brought in recently um, at Praxis at Club Coops and at Tenerife, we've, we've got some Pilates reformers there. And I was, um, I first did it probably eight or nine years ago. And I was really fit at the time. I was Olympic lifting. I was strong. I was running half marathons. And I was like, this is great. I'm fit. You know, I was playing a decent level of cricket. And I went in there and my girlfriend, who's now a wife, um, she was a Pilates instructor. I went, cool. She's begging me to come to one of these classes because it's been boring. She's usually seeing you know, 50, 60, 70 year olds in there. And I was like, okay, it'll be a bit boring, but I'll go. Uh, I went to this class and old, old love next to me, she absolutely nailed me. She was absolutely killing me. I'm like, how is this possible? You know, one of those real realization moments. And yep. I was like, what is this contraption that I'm on? And I, from that day onwards, I gave it a really healthy respect because a lot of other young guys, particularly in the football club that I deal with, they think Pilates is breathing and stretching and you know mobility work and that's about it. So I think from that day onwards, I thought, well, there's actually a lot more to this than I thought. Um, a few years went by and then eventually I was in the position where I owned my own clinic and I was like, I'm going to give this a crack again. And uh, it was as hard as I remembered it. And I thought, you know what, this, there's some really, I want to look at the evidence in this. And I went through some of the evidence um, in the literature about it and it was one of the best things for lower back pain. It was one of the best things for knee arthritis, uh, hip arthritis, pre and post surgery, for example. There's a lot of things that it was absolutely beneficial for. And I had, even as a physio, I had no idea really what it was about. And then um, long story short, we got them in. We, we got some people who were trained in it to teach some other people. And um, like I said, Emma, one of our other physios here, she's a bit of a guru in it, so she loves it. Um, and we started using a lot more of our football players and we found that our soft tissue rates went down, the mobility, as we talked about before, improved mm-hmm. without the stretching. Um, but their, their low, funnily enough, their lower back pain, their niggly lower back pain that had went away, that, you know, that niggly knee pain that they had after games went away. So uh, I think that was one of, the, one of the most underrated things that I've seen. Um, it is, there is some mobility elements to it, but for the most part, it's just, it's just providing strength in all the muscles you don't really want to do in the gym, basically. Yep. And that's yep. what I really liked it for. It's nice. You can go in there, someone tells you what to do, and it's like, oh, yeah, great. I feel really – that was a really hard session, but I think I got something out of it. Yeah, cool. Just give everyone a what is reform applies. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Reform applies is essentially it's a way of adding resistance um, – uh, 
through through a thing called a carriage or a reformer. It's basically a big bit of kit with its spring-based loading. Um, similar to, uh, I suppose it's really hard to describe, you're basically on a, on a bed that moves essentially um, and you, you've got some springs there that help provide the resistance as I mentioned. You can do that in all different planes. So Joseph Pilates was the guy who started it all and um, he basically said, look, if you can do this stuff um, without gravity forcing upon you, then you're more likely to, to be able to do it better when, you, when there is gravity against you. So um, we, we provide a really nice opportunity to really isolate muscles, particularly around the hips and lower back and abdominals. Like, yeah, I put a young cricketer through it this morning, actually. He, um, he tore his side a yep. couple of weeks ago, which is a really common injury in fast bowlers. And he'd never done Pilates again. Same story. I thought it was breathing and whatever else. And I put him through the warm up yep. of it. And he's like, that's the hardest ab exercise I've ever done. I'm like, are you, Sweating. Are you yeah, ex- <laughs> literally profusely like red in the face. And I was like, mate, that's the warm up. And I was doing with him just, you know, calmly going away. And he's yep. like, you know, how are you expected to bowl? 135 k's an hour you can hardly do a couple of these things you know yeah, as exactly. i said it's that whole mentality of you know that old lady i'll never forget it that's why i keep bringing it up i'll never forget this old lady next to me just absolutely owning me and i thought i was fit and strong and whatever so yeah yeah it's uh yeah, it, it's a really good way, way of it getting exercise in so yeah i had a similar well, a similar situation when i was doing um bonfire yoga just down oh the yeah, yeah yeah and i was like yeah sweet like i'll give yoga a crack like i'm shit at stretching and flexibility yeah, yeah. and whatever and I'm getting like towed by the whole, yeah. like everyone in there. And I was the youngest easily, yeah. like I'm 30 yeah. and the youngest easily. And like these people are laying flat on the ground and pushing their limbs around. Yeah. I was like, mate, I can't do that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it reminds me, it's really nice in a sense, because I know that if I train him in, in that, he'll adapt over the next few weeks, which is great. And I think I use it as a really nice, um, I think pain is a really poor outcome of a measure of success. Mm. So people really fixate on pain, particularly when they're in pain, right? It's a really nice motivator to get you going. But ultimately, if you if they say, oh, I haven't improved, but they've been able to do five minutes goes to 50 minutes, then, mate, you've improved. Yep. You've just got the same amount of pain. You've definitely improved. Your function's improved. Your strength's improved. You know, that's an improvement. So um, I think it's a really nice, like your, your example is that, you know, just because you're older doesn't mean you still can't adapt exactly you know? and I think it's just exposure to an activity will make you adapt yeah um, and we often say to uh, it's a stupid saying but it's um, when guys complain about you know running hard or lifting heavy and it's like that's weakness leaving your body mate just yeah. keep pushing that's what you've got to do you, you don't if you don't stress it it's not going to change I heard a um I listen to a bit of Joe Rogan. Oh yeah classic. but I only like the ones where he's talking to fighters or yeah. um ex-navy seals yeah. or, or things like that because just their, their their mentality towards thing is just completely different yeah and he was talking to an ex ex seal and he said his commander had a saying it's the, through hell week it's like are you hurt or are you injured yeah great yeah and if you're hurt you keep going yeah that's right if you're injured then we stop and yeah. we look at it and it's a mindset often like it's we we have that difficulty with some younger players coming into a senior squad who may have gone through young junior academies from 16s to 20s for example uh, and they come into a senior list football club with people who have been used to doing it for years and you know it used to be the old adage way back when I first started it was like you know if you're under 25 you're not on the physio table or the massage table you are too young to be on the table yeah. you know what I mean and I think a lot of guys tend to get lost sometimes oh yeah i'm a bit sore i'm like yeah you're training hard yeah you if you're not sore you're not doing it right you Mm. know what i mean so um obviously then i'm it's my job to listen to them occasionally but yeah for the most (laughs) part it's uh um, it's for the most part it's a bit like yeah yeah go out and when you start getting feeling like that's not changing Mm. then we'll have a chat yeah yeah 
Uh, that kind of rolls into the next one. What's the most common injury you deal with? Um, it's a pretty broad one. Yeah, so. no, it's fine. I, I think general pop is usually backs, knees, uh, shoulders. The backs and knees are a bit of a... It's one of my passions, looking after those things. So, um, uh, Because I've had back pain and knee pain. So, mm-hmm. obviously, it's funny how you... Can relate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How you can gravitate towards those things. Uh, in AFL, it's... it's most certainly going to be ankle sprains. It's going to be um, some big knee issues. Uh, they're the most common, but they're the most um, problematic, like ACL injuries, for example. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this usual soft tissue stuff. But although this year we had, uh, I did the injury stats for our knee full squad and it was half of that of the AFL. So it was it was a really good job. Yeah, so, great. Um, that was a bit, in part, well, mainly due to our SNC, uh, who did a great job, Brendan Sainsbury. Uh, if you're there, great job, mate. Um, but we, we lost probably 80% of our game time this year due to trauma. Which yeah, is okay. difficult to um, difficult to kind of navigate your way through. You can't really do a lot. If someone breaks their leg, it's like, ah, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Unfortunately. So um, <coughs> This is great how this is rolling. Kind of rolls yeah, into the yeah, next question. Yeah. Um, who's your footy team? I am a Lion supporter and yep. it's not, I'm not a band. Where I've been enjoying them. I've been following them since the Bears. Yep. So I'm allowed to say that I've, I've seen some good stuff and I've been there through the, the bad stuff. So... Uh, definitely a Lions fan. Uh, second only to the Hornets, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the mighty Aspley Hornets. So yep. um, they're, they're my teams. And um, it's oh. difficult when we play against the Brisbane Lions reserves. Obviously, yep. uh, I obviously hope we win. Uh, although the Brisbane Lions reserves were probably too good this year, going through the whole season undefeated. Yeah. yeah Seeing so. those uh, results roll in, I was like, Jesus. Yeah, they're a good side. They're yep. a good side. But uh, that's good. It means that um, AFL is strong in Queensland, which is nice. Yeah. So... Um, last question in these quick five. Yes. Um, do you have a nutrition plan that you work from specifically or not, not specifically? Um, I have, I have an idea. I, I, I tend to want to listen to my body a lot. So if I feel like something and I'll eat it. And sometimes that is literally like I'll have a piece of salmon and like a whole head of broccoli. Like that's what my body wants right now. Sometimes it's like, I feel like pasta and particularly like, you know, if I've had a big ride the day before, then I'd be like, great. This is what I feel like. Um, what I have started to do over the last probably six to nine months after seeing a dietitian was just have a chat and she said just try mindful eating which i'd never really thought of before i never even heard of it um what do you mean as in i used to do i'd have a big bowl of food and i would smash through it i often see sometimes like food as fuel yeah and it's like great i need to get this into me because i am starving right now um and i would then find myself eating overeating i'd eat too much so then she started saying well why don't you stop halfway through have a drink of water, literally think about what you're tasting and then go again. And I'd find that I wouldn't eat as much. Um, I'd be more full more quickly, obviously, mm. probably because you paused. Um, but then I would I would just notice the things that I preferred to eat like, you know, rather than, you know, your takeouts or whatever else when you go to the, you know, go to the footy or whatever, you get like mm. a sausage roll or something like that. And you're like, For 10,000 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I only have one kidney, thanks. Yeah. Um, so the, you just eat it because it's there. And you're like, oh, I'm just eating it for the sake of eating it. But then you stop and think, this is actually like cardboard. I'm eating cardboard and there's probably more calories in this thing, empty calories, mind you, yep. than, again, that salmon and broccoli and then a pasta that I would have had on the side. You know, yep. like, so I think from that perspective in terms of nutrition, I've tried to be more mindful. I've tried to be more aware of what my body wants and then kind of give it that, I suppose. Mm. It's taken me a long time, don't get me wrong, but it's, yeah. it's something that I kind of, I listen to, I suppose. When you can kind of actually recognize those those signals being yeah. sent, like I'm the same, it's like, fuck, I just want some green beans yeah. or I just, I just want a bowl of pasta yeah. or something. And recognizing those messages as opposed to, I just want some food. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the hardest thing with nutrition. Like, 
I've, I've been lucky that I've spent a lot of time on the, on the physical body side of things, but that mental and nutrition side of things is just a whole other world. Mm. It's like it's something that obviously people dedicate their lives to as well, and there's so much to be learned and valued in that. But um, that's where I kind of handball to people who know what they're doing. Exactly. And I, just, I just go, yeah, it's out of my realm. Thanks. Yeah, uh, it's very yeah. easy to be overwhelmed. Absolutely, and because everyone eats, everyone thinks they're an expert as well. That's the other thing. Mm. Um, yeah, a lot of the times I get people coming to me and saying that they've got, you know. They, were, they went and saw someone or did something for their back and therefore that person's a guru or what they're doing is great and mm. it's like well you have a very different condition to what this person's got so it's very difficult to pra- uh, paint everyone with the same brush so mm. uh, if anyone ever asks me about nutrition stuff I'm like not my bag I'll, I can send you someone who is who's yeah. really good but for the most part let's uh, let's just stick with that old back pain of yours yeah exactly yeah. Um, right they're the 10 questions out of Great. the Great. Not so quick, but we got through them. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed them. Um, so what I want to do is I want to have a chat about the business. Yeah, sure. Um, let's keep it simple. Yep. What is Praxis? So Praxis, um, well, the name of it we, we came up with is um, we wanted to, Cam, my business partner and I, we wanted to really put something on our shirt and be like, yep, yeah, this is what I stand for and this mm-hmm. is what I can really get behind because we figured that in the... <laughs> Running a business isn't easy, as you know. Yep. And there's going to be days and times where you're like, oh, this is just bloody hard work. And you want to be, you want to think in the back of your head, this is why I'm doing it. And for Praxis, it's, it's a, it's a um, motor control term or a skill acquisition term about um, skillful application of a theory or embodiment of, of theory, basically. So we, we figured, well, we both physio nerds. We love talking and reading. You know, often we get off we're supposed to be talking about business stuff we're not talking about someone's case for about an hour and you know that kind of stuff and we read the research and we listen to podcasts and whatever else and um so we figured that's something really we could get behind and we figured that physio when we started our business was starting to go through a bit of a trend where a lot of people were starting to go more and more hands off with physio um and starting to talk about more about a lot of the pain sciences and things like that which is a really big deal in physio at the moment um uh, it's it's funny how things kind of come and go in in different industries but for the most part pain science has talked about a lot of its um changes in the brain and how that's perceived by the body and things like that so um a lot of people were talking to their patients about how it can change their their ideals and their belief systems around pain and i think a lot of people through probably the the baby out with the bathwater and stopped their manual therapy component um, which i still think there's a lot of value in but then also given our background in exercise science we wanted to then apply some of the things we learned in exercise science degrees and then go, well, let's strengthen our way out of a lot of problems here as well. Um, so I think that skill publication of what we've learnt uh, at uni and then with all the, the nerdy talks we have, yep. we try and apply that as best we can so that people walk away with more than just uh, my physio talked for a long period of time and didn't put his hands on me yep. um, and, and, fi- and trying to do some stuff to help me um, or my physio only just massaged me for an hour and then that was it you know, and didn't explain anything to me. So I think we tried to meld all those worlds all these different things were swirling around in our heads and make sure that each, each of our sessions or each of our, um, our, our time spent with patients was kind of ticking a few boxes so that people could come in and be educated. Mm-hmm. They could definitely get their, you know, their, their bodies looked at, assessed, because if you don't assess, you're guessing. So exactly. we, we basically wanted to really have a, a nail down some form of diagnosis or something else is going on make sure we can put some things in place to help you and then make sure that you're setting you setting you up for success with that. So as I said before, achievable goals, we graduate those goals over time and eventually we, we achieve you back to function. Yeah, cool. I've Just going back to what you said, um, the best two physios I've ever had 
one was a CrossFit athlete mm. and he was working just up, just up the road from my studio. Mm. So he knew what I did so he could relate everything to yep. exercise yep. and show me different bits and pieces. And I'd go in with like my hip plan up mm. and he'd go, yep, sweet. Let's have a look. Let's give it a bit of a work. Yep. Let's do these exercises. Here's Correct. what you're going to do. What else is sore? Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, okay. How good is this? Yeah. That's right. So I think if you don't, as I mean, like I think if you don't, if you go into a session with someone and you, you don't leave with some form of plan yeah. or, or very clear idea of what's going on in the first place, some of the sometimes the plan is let's take forty eight hours off. Mm. You're training really hard, or you've really annoyed this. You know, you've rolled your ankle, and the research says first seventy two hours you need to back off that fractionally uh, or a lot. Um, put you in a moon boot forty eight seventy two hours, and then we can get going. Mm. But if you just kind of keep annoying it, then it's going to do you a disservice. Yeah. Um, you know, so you need you need to plan leaving, and you need a good idea of what's going on. Otherwise, you're not going to be compliant in the things that we're talking about. If I give you exercises and you have no idea why I'm giving them to you, you're not going to do them. Yeah, simple as that. Or if I give you 15 exercises, you're not going to do them because yeah. people are busy. And if you don't know why, then of course you're not going to do them. Yeah. So it's my biggest gripe in the past has been so I get massaged and I either get the tens machine. Yeah. Or and it's like sweet, and then they start with the client next to them. It's yeah. like, what the fuck's yeah, going yeah, on? Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, ah, uh, you're treating me. And that's the other thing. We, the evidence is so scarce with that type of thing, with tens particularly. It's, it's good for some things, sure. Mm. And same thing with inferential and some of the things that you're on the ultrasound. It's good for some things, but all the studies that show that it's good for some things, it's usually in a multimodal approach. There's 10 other things you could be doing. And that's the probably the 5% maybe that's changing it. Not the not, people just forget the other 95, which is strength training, which is the mobility stuff we talked before, which is, you know, graduated loading, things like that, which are probably more important than anything else. So, mm. and again, we, we always believed that it should be one-on-one with, a, with our patients so that they, if you're trying to explain something and they don't get it, but you're running out of time, then it's like, well, I can't just leave you and go to my next patient with you having no idea what's going on and then someone's putting a heat back on you. Like, yeah. It's just a waste of time. I'll see you in two weeks. What do you mean? Yeah. 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 What, what do you mean? What, why? What, you know, yeah. I need to see you in two days. Why? You know, yeah. So we can do the same dance again? No, mm. thanks. So yeah. Pass. We, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, take me back to the humble beginnings of Praxis. Yeah, very humble. Um, we were downstairs <coughs> in a, uh, a doctor's surgery in Stafford. It was okay. a small treatment room, no, no bigger than this, I suppose. Mm. It's a, quite a small treatment room. Um, Again, no, no, no machines, no fancy machines. We literally had a plinth or a table, a physio table, our hands um, and our ability to communicate with our patients and we started from there. So from there, we, um, we, we got another place, um, Club Coops, we, we knew previously. So uh, with our affiliation with the football club, it was a, it was a no-brainer for us. So we, we moved in here and um, Ben, the owner, was excellent in helping us set up our rooms. Uh, we had a really nice setup there and um, still do, which is excellent. Um, and then we've kind of grown from there. We've had a couple of physios come on board with us and um, we're slowly progressing and, and you know, hopefully building a decent name for ourselves, which is nice. So. Yeah, cool. Like just from a business standpoint, cool. We're Praxis, here we go. How do the people start walking through the doors? Yeah, that's the tough thing. Um, we found word of mouth was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, we previously worked for the same employer uh, who went overseas and did something different outside of physio. So we essentially kind of ran his business for a while and we kind of, that was our training wheels moment. Yep. So we got to learn what's good, how to run a business well, how to probably improve some things, mm-hmm. um, which is putting it nicely. And then we, we um, how to treat staff. So that were the big things that we learned um, early, before we even opened doors, which is invaluable to us. Yep. We then kind of moved through um, the phases of, yeah, all right, well, let's nail down this location. Let's expand. Let's do whatever else. And we just had opportunities come up just by virtue of our um, relationships and networks. And people wanted us 
to work with them or in their buildings or whatever else and we just said well if we can we'll, we'll try it and see how we go and that's all we, we kind of did we just we gave things a, a trial and and things worked and people liked us and saw more people and they told their families and we treat whole families and then so on and so forth friends of friends football clubs different clubs you know it just yeah. happens that way so uh, i think if you're good at what you do your, your patients are usually your best kind of advertising uh, and it's for us it's more organic the last thing we wanted to do is start you know jamming um, our clinics full of people mm. not have a really good experience or service or get the results and then they walk away dissatisfied that's the last thing we want so we were very mindful about building ourselves relatively slowly and making sure we're doing a good job before we kind of you know open the waterworks and treat you know a lot of people a week yeah which we we don't do we we try and limit how many people we see so, that's cool yeah um i see you guys have a very um solid health network we'll call mm. it at praxis mm. take us through yeah so we what, have who's in the ranks yeah so we have cam and myself i see i said we're um physios we're still on the tools we've made a very clear decision early on in our business careers to always be on the tools we never want to be. Um, uh, we never want to see patients as a spreadsheet line item or a revenue number or anything like that. We want to make sure that we're still seeing them face to face. We're still getting really good benefits um, and outcomes for our patients, um, and so that way we can always know what you know. From my perspective, it's I always want to make sure that the staff know that I'm in there, the trenches with them a lot of the time. So. Um, so that I, I'm not asking them to do anything that I'm not doing already. So, um, so that's us too. Um, we have uh, Zach, who's one of our other physios. He's doing his sports masters at the moment, so that's really exciting for him. He's doing a great job. Um, so he's uh, he's uh, keeping us up to date with a lot of the new research that's coming out as well, which is excellent. Uh, we have Emma, as I mentioned before, she's our Pilates guru and um, is predominant or full time here at Coops, which yep. is excellent. She's doing a great job. So, um, and we have remedial massage at Tenerife, um, which is exciting. We have a dietitian, a part-time dietitian as well, which comes in, um, and comes in and out. And obviously, we have our Pilates classes. That we, so we have our clinical Pilates classes, which are physio-led. Now, we only have a few of those a week, but we also have our non-clinical. So they're just general punter classes who want to come in for the for the benefits of Pilates without gotcha. necessarily needing a physio to lead the class. Yeah. So. That's kind of our thing. And then obviously we're in a few places we're in doctor surgeries and things like that. So we have access to different doctors and we're, we're very lucky to have a really nice network of um, surgeons. So particularly with like Kelly McGrady, who's a knee and shoulder specialist. Okay. He's, um, he helps us at the Aspley Hornets. He's an absolute legend. Um, I pretty much got him on speed dial during the season. <laughs> um, so I get to call him and say, look, we need this scan. We need this whatever. Um, or we need this player seen. And he's like, yeah, suspected ACL. Let's get him in Tuesday can be operated by Thursday and he's, yeah, wow. he's, a, you know, he's got a really good outcome because he hasn't wasted away for six weeks. Yeah. Know? So we get him in and out uh, if that's what they need. Uh, and then we, we go from there. So do yeah. you find it hard juggling all those parts? Yeah, I do. Definitely. I find, um, funnily enough, physio is the easiest part of my job, which yep. is, uh, it's really nice. I really like, as I said, being on the tools, probably because it's, you know, 95% of my brain is just fixated on getting this person right and being mm-hmm. really present in the moment which I can sometimes struggle if I've got all these balls in the air. So I kind of forget about all that other stuff just for the moment. Um, but uh, I, I do find it difficult at times, but I think being organized helps. Yeah. That helps. So having and having a, a business partner to bounce stuff off really helps. So Yeah, I feel like, and, and this is my opinion as well, you need to be finding like-minded people. Mm. People, and this is my philosophy, like I'm here to help people. Mm, 100%. And that's what I'm getting from the vibe from you like mm. everything you're saying is like you want to help people yeah. and you need to get people who are exactly the same wavelength otherwise yeah. it ain't gonna work yeah exactly and I think that's where Cam and I we've been a really good um, partnership for a long period of time now it's because he he has the same values that I have we're very clear that 
patient first, patient centric, um, but doing a good job for our patient. And that might mean a lot of extra study from us outside of ours, which is fine because that's what you need to do to keep up to date and be good at what you do. But ultimately, I think if, if the patient is looked after first and foremost, everything else kind of falls into place. And that's it's the same across every discipline. Yeah. So whether or not it's physio or reform of Pilates or whatever else, we want a really good experience and make sure that they're, you know, they, they get what they want out of it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a competitive environment for all things. Everything in this in this economy is supply and demand. And if you know if you're not providing a good service, then no one's really going to demand your product or demand mm. your skill. So yeah. I think um, we just need to make sure that we're doing a good job. People will come and see us. So yeah, happy yeah, days. Cool. Um, you can't. We kind of touched on. Yep, sweet humble beginnings, and we and hmm. you kind of glossed over oh yeah we got into footy clubs and stuff yeah how did you get into oh uh, yeah footy clubs i i was um i, I worked it on the south side for a couple of seasons at a, at a footy club there yeah. um so there was a, a lower level than the needful mm-hmm. um i was really lucky to kind of cut my teeth there and make all the mistakes as a young physio is because yeah. you know when i fi- when i finished physio i was um I previously done a sport exercise degree which was four years and then I, I did some i did a master's research as a um uh, before, as I said, in single leg squats. So I had a bit of life experience under my belt and then I did this, the graduate entry masters at, at UQ, which was an excellent program. But by the end of it, I was like, oh great, I think I know everything there is to know about physio. Yep. And you go out there and then you start treating your first patients, you're like, I know nothing. Yeah. And um, I was really fortunate that my, um, my boss at the time was an experienced clinician. He was very good at what he did. He'd worked in AFL, so he kind of helped me shortcut a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of ideas in my head, and just kind of gave me the ropes. So as I said, those first couple of years were really um, formative for me. I learned a lot, of, a lot of things about myself and about physios, generally speaking. Um, and then from there, the contract came up, and I think we threw our, well, my previous employer threw his hat in the ring. He knew some people. We got in. Happy days. And then, um, yeah, as I said, he basically went over to America. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we i was just there i was the head physio at the time and i'd done it for a couple of years and i said i'd love to do it um i'm a new business mm. i want to take over and they said yeah no worries um we still had a year in our contract and then um we took over and it was it was probably better i felt i felt i was better that year a i was more experienced but i was also my business and it was a bit more like this is this is my reputation now not just final flight yeah it was like and I, I threw everything into it um i learned a lot of stuff i did a lot i did a multiple i wore many hats so i did some i did the strength and conditioning component of it as well mm-hmm. or help, at least helped with that and oversaw that uh, obviously did the um the physio and then tried to get a lot of other things happening in the background so it um it worked out really well and now i think um with a combination of things things are running really really nicely there so yeah cool. cool so where we are now and like humble humble beginnings and the punters and mm. we're cutting our teeth and all that kind of stuff mm. so you are now the head physio at Aspley Hornets mm-hmm. for the top NEFL team. Yep. Um, what are the other higher profile things that we've done? Um, well, I've, I personally, I, as, um, as I was saying, at the end of my first degree in sport and exercise science, I was lucky enough to get a job with Cricket Australia as a, as a sports scientist. as basically uh, an assistant to the um, sports science, sports med unit there. So essentially, uh, how do I describe this? It was kind of like the jack of all trades, master of none. Gotcha. But... I was absolutely fortunate that everyone in their field were absolute gurus and I, I, I just listened to everything they said. So I would help out um, the physios, obviously, there was a couple there. Um, there were some uh, medical people involved, biomechan- uh, biomechanists. So biomechanics was a big theme back then. Yep. Um, How, uh, when was this, sorry? So this was probably looking at 10 years ago now. Okay. So it was a while. Um, 
Yeah, ten years. Yeah, geez, that's a, that's a decade. Oh my god. <laughs> Crazy. Oh my god. Um, and so that was yeah, about ten years ago. It was excellent. So I got all. I was able to go to the AIS in Canberra and do some stuff down there in the biomechanics department, which was excellent. Um, and then there was SNC, obviously, strength and conditioning, which was there. Predominantly, what that was, it was the. Um, it was the winter program. It used to be called the Center of Excellence. Okay. Um, that was here in Brisbane. So it used to be in Adelaide. A lot of people may have heard of it if you're a cricket nuffy. Um, it basically moved to Queensland because the weather's really good. But essentially what that would take is the next generation of Australian cricketers, for example, would come to this Centre of Excellence away from their state programs and basically just get absolutely hammered in an off-season with the best of whoever's around. So that included psychologists, nutrition, S&C, physio, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So I was a part of that, thankfully. And I, um, I helped to do a lot of things around around that program, so which was really good. So, um, you know, the guys like Steve Smith and Mitchell Stark, all these kind of guys came through. So pretty much anyone on the Australian side now pretty much went through that program yeah. but as an 18 19 year old that's cool which is pretty cool they, they were like yeah it was it was really interesting to see that so um from there it kind of got rechanged it's, it's now like the national cricket center okay so that's in albion massive development there it's it's absolutely fantastic in that time i went away and, and did some other stuff uh said so physio was one of them and then eventually over time i was able to i got asked back to do other things so um, I look after a lot of the Aussie 16s, Aussie 19s, National Indigenous squad. Yeah, cool. Uh, the men's, we went over to England last year, 150 years since um, the first Indigenous side went over to England. Mm-hmm. So I went with the men's and women's National Indigenous side over there and spent a few weeks there. That was excellent. Uh, did an India trip last year, Sri Lankan trip with Aussie 19. So yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good gig um, with the cricket stuff. So Yeah, cool. Um, that's, that's, that's what I enjoy as well, cricket. Oh, I've got a decent cricket background. So um, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Um, just ignoring the notes for a second. Yeah. Did, did you have any, like, anyone you can think of off the top of the head that came in and was just like a raw talent but was, like, not mechanically working properly? Yeah. Oh, well, um, Phil Hughes. Yeah, okay. Springs to mind. He was an absolute... He, uh, unfortunately, obviously, um, uh, a few years ago, as everyone knows, um, uh, tragedy lost his life playing cricket. Mm. He was in really, like, intense... You could see in his eyes, he was like creates it for me it, yeah. was, it was really intense but he was everyone knew he had a bit of an odd action or whatever the case may be but yep. he he was very good at what he did and he was an absolute jet um that you know at least what i saw of him at a young age uh steve smith was another one he steve smith is easily the best and i don't mean to name drop but seriously he was like every year we do like a skill skill test mm. basically where you'd fire balls at a guy um from a bowling machine yep 110 130 k's an hour and that you've got to tell them where they've got to hit it basically okay. around the oval yeah so it could be anywhere but they've got to hit it there and he was easily the best at that and he would play shots that you just weren't like you couldn't <laughs> think they were human and yep. he would just hit it consistently yep. and i was like this kid's 19 he'll play for sure he's got a, he's so good yeah and then um he was a leg spinner at the time i don't even know if anyone knew he was batting well but then he just obviously turned into the superstar freak that what he was but yeah he was one of the ones that looked completely didn't look right at all when he batted but oh my god he hit the ball so well and mm. so consistently it was a he was a freak so yeah. i remember when he came onto the scene like it, it was like warney had just fallen out of like mm. the, not fallen out but like left the team and wasn't mm. on the scene anymore and uh, everyone's like oh the new warney's here and yeah he was batting like mid-order and yeah i know how you look now it's like what yeah because particularly i think everyone loved him because he's a wrist spinner he had the same kind of you know he had the same walk up and the same you know delivery kind of stride i think he he was a bit fidgety and whatever mm. else and i think one day i think he just realized like a lot of people realize he's probably not the leg spinner that, and that was hard there was a period there when they went through a lot of spinners and mm. they were like 
you know, everyone's the new warning. You're like, oh my yeah, God, yeah. how's that going for How's that pressure? Um, yeah, so I think um, it was really difficult for Steve to probably go through that period and be, well, anyone would, you know, to mm. be compared to that. But I think batting just took off and took off and took off. And yeah. He's where he is now, so. Not, you know. to, not to be like, ah, oh, are, are they your mates still? But do you ever, like, still... Oh, Christ, no. no. No, the good thing about that program is that you see them before they have the egos. Like, I think some, like some, <laughs> yep. some of the guys, like, I'll still Instagram and Facebook, um, you know, when they do well, yeah, um, yeah. particularly in those first couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and stupid jokes you get when you tour. Like, the, the good thing about cricket, different to any other sport, yep. I think, is that you tour a lot and you, when you go away for two or three weeks, like, we went to, yeah, as I said, we went to India for two weeks and just close quarters on planes in hotels on buses you just get to learn to know more about people rather than a football you rock up in the morning you leave in the afternoon kind of mm. thing so you spend a lot of time and you just have in jokes with people all the time and it's just one of those things you just you know i still send um like as silly as it sounds pictures of my socks of a guy with you know right and left if i've got them on right so today's going to be a good day because we used to make yep. jokes about like you know, imagine those days when you put two left socks on. It's going to be a tough day. Right, so, gotcha. <clears throat> so just stupid shit like that. They'd be kind of, you just can't help but think about, ah, oh, remember that time? Or, yeah. You know, or we'd make silly shirts of people at our go-and-way functions and stuff like that. And you yep. still, yeah, you still get reminded of that from time to time, which is cool. So, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool memories yeah. to have. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Like, I think there's, I, I was really lucky. There's some, the touring stuff, there's just stuff money can't buy. Like, you know, we got to sing the, um, the team song in Lord's dressing room, for example, like yeah, stuff wow. like that was, that's pretty immense. Like you can't, like you can't buy that. That's, that's pretty immense. Yeah, so, that's yeah, cool. That was really good. So stuff like that is, is, uh, I look back very fondly and one day be able to tell the grandkids about that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was cool. Um, going back to, uh, the business, mm-hmm. is there an end goal or are we currently in the end goal? What, what? Uh, definitely we have an end. Oh, I suppose no end goal in sight. I think we, we would like to think that we're, continually improving and adapting i think as long as you're always looking to be better in everything that you do then i think that that's that's a goal in itself and i don't think you'll ever you never reach that mm. you never reach perfection yeah i think you can always improve and i think from us as long as we're comfortable that we're we've got a method that we're using that that works well for us and that we can get behind um then that's enough for us yeah my advice like that i, I tell myself mm-hmm. And I tell the other trainer that Sam that I have on mm. board, it's it's stay hungry. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And if you lose that hunger, something's got to change. Yeah, we we talk about having a plateau stage, so you can sit in that forever if you want to, mm. um, when things are comfortable. But again, yeah. just like we talked about before, at the start of the show about, um, you've got to stress yourself to adapt. Yeah. And through adaptation, often you know comes improvement, particularly mm. if it's a positive adaptation. So you're not hungry and you're comfortable being comfortable then you probably just on the it's a you're on the way down if anything if you're not going up you know that ricky bobby saying what is it if you're not first you're last yeah that kind of thing yeah as silly as that sounds it kind of works so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that movie yeah <laughs> um cool so i want to look at some mobility stuff yeah, like, yeah. let's sure a little bit clinically but just average people kind of stuff mm. um when it comes to the average joe in your opinion what leads to injury uh Boom bust is a big one. So going too big, gotcha. too quick, yep. and then dropping off. Yep. So that's a classic. It's just uh, load load management is mm-hmm. easily the, the number one thing that I see. So often people can look at biomechanics. So you look at some of the best marathon runners in the world. They pronate, their knees fall in. They've got terrible running style, but they can run it. You know, a beautiful marathon. They can run it very, very quick. Mm. But they've adapted to that over time. They haven't jumped off the couch and started doing that. Yeah. So I think. From my perspective, it's people doing too much too quick. And the thing that the trick that people 
I find it's, it's as they age and they haven't done things for a few years, they go, and I'm guilty of it all the time. I used to be able to do that. Why can't I do that now? Frustration. It's like, well, yeah, it's like, no, I used to be able to deadlift, you know, let's just say I used to deadlift 100. And now I can, I tried to deadlift 80 the other day and I couldn't. So I pushed myself harder. It's like, well, no, I haven't deadlifted for five years. Of course, I can't do what I used to do. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think that's where people tend to go a little bit wrong. They just go, oh, I used to be able to do this. I should be fine. Mm. But that was when you were training. Mm. If you're not training, consider yourself well, be, well, like half of that. You know? Yeah. So I, um, in my experience, when I see injuries, it starts as a niggle. Mm. And the amount of people and the people who I train who are listening to this, no, I'm talking about you. The amount of people who train and it's like, ah, oh, it's the bloody shoulder. Ah, oh, it'll be right. And like, keep going. And I'm like, what's going on the shoulder? Yeah. I'm like, oh, nothing. Four weeks passed. And it's like, okay, now I can't lift yeah, the weight yeah. past 90 degrees. Yeah, that's right. Like, and you think, well, yeah, that all should be right attitude. I think there's some merit in it sometimes. Mm. But I think if, as you said, if you, you know, are you hurt or are you injured? I think there's, there's usually some markers that you, there's no harm in having a chat to someone and going, oh, have you actually had a chat to someone about, what's going on with that because that could be a really quick and easy fix if you catch it early mm. the problem is if you then continue to do that um, over a long period of time then you might get some negative adaptation and that's going to be your problem because mm. it's harder the hill is much higher to, harder to climb and higher to climb you have to go further um, to get yourself out of that problem or back yourself like we talked about before um, I talk about getting yourself back to neutral mm. neutral is usually the pain free point where you were doing what you did before but if we just if you don't change anything from there, you just rinse and repeat. I'll yep. see you, in, you know um, one of my patients actually called what do you call it? Um, tag and release the other day. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> he, he was um, he used to work with a GP and he said oh, um, one of his hip patients used to just get an injection in his hip, do no rehab, and then it'd be tag and release. So I'll see you again in three months basically because he would come back you know, or six months because invariably he'd come back do the same stuff, have the same problems because nothing's changed, and um, you know if nothing changes, nothing changes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So. So that's that's easily the biggest one, you know, load management. Yeah, I uh, actually had this chat with a um, a twenty year old that I train, and looking at his posture, and I said, "Do you see any chiros or physios or anything like that?" Had a massage. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, nah." I'm like, "Well," and we've spoken about his posture being a weakness, like mm-hmm. very rounded at the top. Yeah. I said, "Mate, now's the time you want to get that looked at because mm-hmm. the older you get, the, like you just said, the, the higher the hill, the harder yeah. the hill to climb." Yeah, and your motivation goes down too. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Like, yeah, it's easy to motivate a twenty-year-old. It's mm. like they always want. Like, this is obviously generalizing, but they want to be stronger than their mate. They want to look better than their mate. They want to look better than what they did yesterday. You know, they want to lift heavy weights. So that's an easy motivation. Yeah. But you get to you know thirty, forty, fifty. Life changes, and mm. your priorities change, which is completely fair. Mm. So that whole idea of well, I don't really care what I look like. I don't really care if I'm lifting lighter than my mate. Mm. But you're in pain. Pain's a really good motivator. But the moment the pain goes away, like I said, get to neutral, mm. then everyone goes, well, okay, well, thanks. And I'm going to you know, go back. And I think, as I said to you before, part of that process is educating your patients well enough to go, you're going to feel good soon. And that's great. But that's only one part of the step. Right? Yeah. You've got to go further. Happy to give you all the tools in the world to be able to help you with that. And I think as, as long as you're compliant or working with someone like yourself, mm. massive fan of work. You guys get to do all my work for me. It makes yeah. me look really good because... I, the amount of emails I write per week saying this is the program I think or some of the exercises I think you should try and jump into your program to help with that say that postural mm. positioning then happy days because that means you won't be seeing me because you're injured you're feeling stronger and you're feeling better and that's my job mm. so my job is to handball to someone like yourself and go that's your domain go and help yourself there like mm. um, and I think if you again we talked about dietitians this is my scope I don't know anything about dietitians or you know, nutrition, so I'm going to handball it. Um, 
you know, I have a good, I have a relatively decent command of what things I can do inside a gym, but ultimately that's not my job. I get to treat the acute stuff in here. Yes, I can talk to you about some of the rehab I need to give you, but if you've got a PT or someone who trains you, then that's the person you should be you should be looking for, and I can help with that. Yeah, but it's not my role to do it in the gym with you. Yeah, there's that mentality that that's a big thing when it comes like priorities. That's a good one that you just touched on. Like people are claiming time poor, mm. and that's fine. That's life. That it's but we've said it twice now. If things aren't if things aren't changing, things aren't going to exactly. change. Exactly. I think it's yeah. Pe- people are time poor, but then often we'll sit on the couch for three hours and watch Netflix, which yeah. again, fine. If that's your priority and if it's a part of your unwinding, that's fine. I went through a slump probably when the, I started the business, the priority was the business because mm. I needed, I need to work, you know, 70 hours, 80 hours a week to get it going and to get it happening. And I'd work like a demon and then exercise fell by the wayside. And as you do, you put on weight, your eating choices go terribly. I found, um, I found that, you know, a glass of red wine really helped me fall asleep because Mm. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't creating that sleep pressure to be able to fall asleep at night. My mind was still running a million miles an hour, but a glass of red wine would help. And then you start thinking, if I do that every night of the week, that's, you know, that's five glasses a week. And that's not much. Some people have two or three or whatever. Yeah. But that adds up. You know, that's a lot of running you have to do to get burn off that, burn off those calories. Yeah. Um, So then you start thinking, well, if, if I slept better because I exercised, and I probably wouldn't need the red wine. I then also probably wouldn't be sitting on the couch like trying to, you know, comfort eat. So I probably wouldn't need to work as hard. And it, it kind of all feeds into itself a little bit. It's all this, you know, if I just prioritize a half hour run, and that's what I did. I started going, I'm just going to go for a, I think it was like a round the oval once or twice. Mm. And that was it. And I was like, oh, I could probably keep going. It's half the battle is just putting on those shoes, just lacing up. Yes. And, then, and then you're out the door and you're like, ah, oh, I'm here. I might as well keep going because I'm actually feeling fine. Yeah. And then you get back in, you feel good, you make the healthier choice, you go to bed early, you get your sleep, you're up again, you're feeling much better tomorrow, you're more productive, it means you're not as stressed at work. Oh, I've actually found an extra half an hour of my day that I could actually exercise now. Before you know it, that's an hour. And then you go, actually, I'm actually kicking ass in all things at the moment because I made one simple change to lace up that day. Yeah. You know, it's such a, it's really not, I, I've, you know, I don't profess to be the fittest person in the world, but like, you know, I get to work out most days of the week and it may not be a big thing, but it's something. Yeah, yeah. That's all that matters. And that's it. It's what happens between the ears is such a powerful, powerful weapon mm. if used properly. 100%. But it will be your greatest weakness <laughs> if used incorrectly. Absolutely. I think we're excellent. The body is excellent and the mind is probably more so. It's just finding, um, finding excuses. And, and people, you talk about overtraining before, a lot of people undertrain. Yeah. Because like, they go, oh, I better not push myself today. And it's like, well, why not? Mm. You know, like active recovery is one of the best ways to recover from a bout of exercise, for example. You know, DOMS is a really good one. So we know that act, light active recovery will actually reduce your DOMS better than anything else. Yeah. So why don't you just move. do... Move. Exactly. Even if it's a walk around the block, like go with your partner, go with your dog, go with whoever. Mm. Um, listen to a good podcast. Yeah, listen to a good podcast whilst walking. There you go. <laughs> um, I think that's one of the best things. As I said, there's no bad exercise. Get out and do something. Yeah. Um, Boom, we're on a roll. Similar vein. Yeah, like, I love this. I think mobility is overlooked. And I will say right now, my mobility is pretty rubbish in areas. But do you think that there is a general mobility regime that people could add in every day? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of that is, as I said, not sitting at a desk for long periods of time. That helps. Mm-hmm. I think it's all relative to what you need to do. I think if you look at a power lifter, who doesn't need a lot of range when in the task that he or she is doing. They're not gonna they don't need a lot of that mobility, but they may need certain things. Versus if you look at someone like 
a painter who needs to look above his head and paint with his shoulder range all day long. He mm. needs certain things. If you look at a, uh, a bus driver or whoever else that needs certain ranges, then you need to basically prepare yourself for that or at least be mobile in those areas. I yeah. Think. So um, where people tend to, or I see tend to go wrong is that, yeah, they, they basically sit for long periods of time and don't do the opposite of what they do all day long. So that's why I said at the early, at the, at the start of the show, I like a lunge because it opens up the hips a lot more than a lot of people want to do squats. But if you sit all day long, you're in hip flexion most of the day. A lunge at least gets you into some hip extension. So you're not feeling tight in the interior, in the front structures. So yeah. that's a nice one at least to get mobilized. So that way you're not constantly having to you know, be rolled through your thorax and you're kind of in this C shape all day long. Yeah, It's a nice way to just open up. So that I use that as a mobility. I use a lunge because I know that I sit a lot because of just, and I have a cyclist. So I use a lot of inner range hip flexion. Mm. So I like to open up through my hips. Um, for that, I like thoracic extension because I think a lot of people, you know, just that our day and age of looking down at phones, yeah, um, looking at laptops and things like that, sitting on public transport, sitting in the car, a lot of thoracic flexion or you know flexing through your mid back. I think if you can extend a lot more, then that's going to be really really important. That stops that really stooped look that people get, yeah, really rounded at the front. And so the same in the eye, the same breath, then you work on some of the back musculature to help kind of pull you up and stand mm. you up and stand you up nice and tall, so you have that good posture. Quote yeah. Unquote. I've like, if we're looking at like a treatment plan, my advice is always, it's got to be a combination of things. It could be structural. It could be, you know, mm. muscular. It could be, it could be your stress levels. It could mm. be whatever. Yeah. But if you find something that works, great, do it. Yeah. If it doesn't work, put a line through it, move to the next yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where, um, particularly for mobility, uh, it's important. I think if people are, are finding finding that if they're adopting a certain position all day long or they find themselves oh yeah i feel like i'm constantly feeling like i'm i'm i'm, I'm bent over all the time whatever the case may be you probably just again it's that adaptation adaptation works both ways not only good it can also be bad so mm. if people aren't working into other ranges through certain muscles or certain joints then of course they're just going to be tightening up so uh, or not being used or not being strong or whatever the case may be you may not have that available range to you anymore so i think if you use it that idea if you use it use it or lose it yeah yeah yeah, use it or lose it so i think if you if you're not using it then you're going to be in a bit of trouble sometimes yeah not always but sometimes um i know from being a pt it can be difficult sometimes giving advice and you can quite clearly in that moment see it falls on deaf ears Mm -hmm. and in any one-on-one environment be it yourself as a physio Mm -hmm. massage therapist pt what nutritionist whatever and it's like this is how we can help you move forward in whatever it is that we're trying to do. Mm. But you can just see, it's like, right, I don't... Think they bought it. Yeah. Do you get a little bit... Do you find it difficult or get frustrated when you're sitting there going, here's how we fix this? And I, the person goes, yeah, cool. I definitely used to. Yep. In my younger formative years, I used to be really annoyed when someone wasn't compliant in the stuff that I gave them. Mm. And then I realized it's not them, it's on me. Mm-hmm. And it's my inability to communicate that well. Some people, we all learn different ways. Some people just need to be able to do it. So often I'll get patients to do the task that I do. Sometimes, as I said, you've got to set them up for success. If they've already shown success in the clinic, mm. that, you know, they can leave going, I'm comfortable. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I give them some good feedback. That's exactly how I want you to do it. They feel the muscle working that I want them to work. Um, or, you know, they feel the effect of it afterwards. Then that's exactly what I want. That's them leaving mm. with, you know, likelihood of compliance and doing what i'm asking them to do yeah if i explain something and they don't get it then i'll ask how would you like i would i would literally ask them does does that make sense 
and there's a um, can you explain that back to me as you would explain it to your partner what is wrong with you and if they can't answer that question then you need a better way of explaining it to them it's a really nice way because people just people are polite people will go yep yep I understand and then you ask them and they've got actually I don't know and that's my fault that's Mm -hmm. not their fault that's my fault yeah so I'll, I'll explain it again and then you know to make sure that they know and sometimes for my football players then yes i need to explain that a few more times but for the (laughs) most part most part people are pretty good and if you if you get them to feel it or again as i said to you before massive physio nerds show every one of my patients anatomy with an an app that i have so we can show them everything that's going on they can go oh i can actually see what you're talking about now and that's why i have to strengthen that muscle or that's why i have to trigger point that area or that's why i'm probably getting the pain that i'm getting when Mm. i'm putting out the washing or whatever the case may be yeah just going on the anatomy app mm. thing it just made me think of yeah. something there was a Netflix show um, Michael Johnson oh, I forget the name of it the sprinter Michael Johnson yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he would go around to all these different coaching facilities so I remember he went to an NBA one mm-hmm. he went to like the, their strength and conditioning mm-hmm. one went to um, a training facility for the Special Olympics mm-hmm. uh, and then he did this thing and the physicians there had these tights so full length tights yeah wow and the the tights had sensors in them that were linked up to an app mm-hmm. so during an exercise you could see what muscles were wow. working based on color so he was doing a squat and like let's say his left leg was taking more load so the left muscles would turn red on the mm-hmm. app and the, the right ones would be yeah. yellow yeah yeah sure and, and like, yeah, you couldn't see it as much yeah it's excellent it's and like it sticks out to me like when you can go, this is what's working and mm. this is what isn't, mm. like... Absolutely. I think we... Oh, I wish I had something like that in my clinic. Yeah, it's amazing. Be excellent. We have... Um, obviously, we have we have a lot of orthopedic assessment tools. So we mm. have certain things that we can look and go, yeah, I hypothesize by the way that you move, for example, in the lunge, you know, you're tight here, you're weak here, whatever. We have what we call a handheld dynamometer, which basically means that you can push into this sensor. It'll tell you a number of how many, how many kilos of force they're using, for example. Yep. Now, we do that on, if I suspect something, then I'll go, all right, great. For a running athlete, I want to look at your ability to hip abduct or take your legs out. I want to bring them in. I want to look at your rotation. I want to look at your hip flexion, hip extension. And I can get a pretty clear idea of a 3D, of how that pelvis works in 3D and compare sides. Mm. So if your right hip, for example, is... 30% weaker than your left and you're getting right knee pain, I'm pretty comfortable that we need to look at your hip as well as not only your knee. Yeah. Otherwise, we can treat your knee till kingdom come and it won't change anything because, you know, hips and knees best friends kind of mm. thing. So Treat um, the problem. Yeah, well, that's it. Well, I think, treat the cause. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's part of it is saying, look, the symptoms are often the outcome, yeah. not not the driver. I think if you hit the driver, and like I think that's part, you're going to be much more likely to succeed. succeed mm. So... You know, so a classic example again, squats come to mind because, um, uh, you know, jumping athletes like a um, a volleyball player, for example, we know that shortness in their ankle range can largely increase the amount of force that goes through their tendon, their knee tendon, yeah, uh, patella tendons, because they you know they have to load more through their knee, for example. Um, so as I said, you can treat the patella tendon until the cows come home, but if you don't address the ankle, then you're going to be nowhere because yeah. they're going to still load it. Um, preferentially put that band-aid on keep going yeah, that's, right. that's right and I, I think yeah that, that's where we like I like to be pretty holistic in the way that I see things and go well let's look at adjacent joints to make sure that they're all sweet and mm. make sure that, you know as I said 
it's classic with even knee osteoarthritis changing direction we know that um, the outcomes for treating the osteoarthritis are much better when you when you look at hip musculature as well as knee musculature so i think from that perspective the moment you start just treating one thing only um, then you're going to be you know you're probably limiting your ability to create a really good successful outcome for that patient yeah cool um one of the pieces of feedback we'll call it that i get as a pt from some people Mm. is oh i don't do those yeah, I was like, okay, cool. Why not? It's like, oh, because I'm not good at them. And I go, well, if you're not good at them, shouldn't we do that more? Yeah. Do you find, let's say you prescribe a rehab or mm-hmm. recovery program, do you find people go, I'd stop doing those because they were hard? No, uh, it's probably a little bit different between you and me. So I get to say, you suck at those because of X, Y, Z. And yep. I've, the whole previous 30, 40 minutes has led up to this point where I get to take them to the gym in their first session. I've, I've you know, broken them down and yep. I've said, cool. these are all your deficits. How good is this? this is, I, I get really excited with them. I said, look, don't feel bad. This is exciting. Yeah, we can this, fix this, this stuff. Is, this stuff's easy to fix. You know, this is great. This is how we're going to fix it. Can you see why you're so not great at this? Mm. Um, if you, like, and that's why, I, as I said, I get really excited by going, Imagine it, if you can do this better, that means this and this and this. So be good at this. Mm. You be good at this exercise and you're going to have a really nice cascade of events that's going to happen here. So whereas your, your probably field, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like they've come to work out and if they suck at it, they're like, well, I'm not really getting a workout. And it's like, well, not now, but always think of the, you know, think of the six weeks down the line or four weeks down the yep. line when you can do something much more than what you can do now because you're nailing this basic component you know you gotta you gotta be able to walk before you can run and i think a lot of people see crossfit which i think is excellent i love treating crossfitters they're the most Mm. motivated people going around they want to be better yesterday which can sometimes work against them but for the most part they they understand they've got to work hard the trickier ones are the desk jockeys who who don't tend to want to do a lot of work and you you know you're having to you know feels like sometimes you're tearing your hair out trying to get them to do stuff but yeah. i think once you get them you know get them up and get them going and motivated then they're usually pretty good yeah touching on that do you find elite athletes or athletes are more likely to be diligent or more likely to push it um i i go less by um by whether or not they're an athlete by by personality so you can definitely tell some personalities are push it push it push it mm-hmm. they're the ones you've really got to put the handbrake on um and they're usually a lot of the time they're the overuse people so the people who get stress fractures or the people who get um you know overuse injuries generally speaking they go um you know they go hard and they keep going hard because they mentally they can they're really strong mentally which is mm-hmm. great you just got to what i try and do is just re I suppose, reconfigure what their thought process is and then also think about, all right, well, how can we kind of guide you down this river a little bit easier than you having to smash yourself in this particular area? Mm. Let's go do something else where you can smash yourself. And I think it's really difficult sometimes. That's their release. And I think if you can give them something that gives them that same release without necessarily um, confounding their injury, then I think it's the best way to go, personally. You you kind of touched on the next spot. what are some mistakes or misconceptions you see in recovery process um, from a client's perspective? Yeah, sure. I think the pain is a big one. We yep. know there's some really good evidence out there or more emerging evidence now um, that things like working beyond pain-free thresholds is actually really important for some people. Mm. So pain used to be, if you're in pain, stop immediately. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that depends on the type of condition. But for the most part, things like tendinopathies, a tendon degeneration, yep. um, we know over time that 
pushing yourself to that three out of 10 is actually quite beneficial. It's the, it's enough to stress the tendon to change it over a period of time. We know that um, for hamstring strains, for example, um, pain-free threshold training versus um, a slight pain or discomfort during the training in, a, in an acute hamstring strain, you get back to a sport quicker and in in training in a little bit of pain. Yep. Um, so I think it's that's a big misconception that people go, as soon as I'm in pain, I've got to stop. Yep. And I don't think that's always the case. Particularly even uh, knee osteoarthritis is another really good one where um, even through six weeks of training in pain, again, four fours out of 10, mm. so decent pain, um, your function improves dramatically compared to no pain. Yep. And, and then invariably that then you know, kickstarts you to the next thing. Mm. Even if you need a joint replacement or a knee replacement, your outcomes are much, much better because you spent four to six weeks of training getting your quad strong and all the muscles around your knee so that as soon as you get this uh, this new knee put in, then you know, you're know not back to square one. I've got no muscles in my hip or my knee. Um, I'm just going to be loading my joint quite heavily. Mm. So I think that's a big misconception from mine and I try and push that with patients. I think it's a, once again, it's a mentality thing as well. Mm-hmm. Like if we have injury, for example, um, I tore my rec fem mm-hmm. um, and the physio I was seeing, it, like it just happened and I had to, I just called the physio. I was like, I need to see someone like yeah. now. Yeah. Went in and he's like, yep, cool. We in, you go get scans. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the, the rehab stuff was not great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. And it was like, all right. I can. I know what my limit is, and I'm just gonna yeah. go to work it to the point mm. of work. Mm. Wherever that point, if like you said, if it's a one or a two or a three, a little bit of work. Yep. Obviously, let it recover. But of course, um, I, yeah. I think a part of that is uh, again. I'm, I'm. I used to be really dogmatic with my sets and reps, mm. and now it's more of a. I, I talk about a feeling, like it's. Yeah. You want to be hitting three sets of say semi fatigue. Yeah. And if you're if you're hitting that and you're fatiguing the muscle without that high level pain or that sh- you know sharp pain, particularly in a rec fem tear, mm. then you want to be making sure that you know you can tolerate that. And as soon as you can tolerate that, then happy days. Then that's that's good rehab. Yeah. The moment you start going, oh, don't do anything then you're, you're, in a, you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. So again, delayed, there's really good evidence on this, is that if you delay your treatment interventions or your rehab interventions, you have worse outcomes. Yeah. So getting on top, like you did the right thing, getting yep. on top of it early. Um, obviously, you have a you know, 48-hour window of like, let's keep it under under wraps and make sure it doesn't you know continue to get annoyed. Mm. But you should be loading it really quickly after yeah. that. And it's just, you just got to be smart with it. That's all. Yeah, you know, I, I get my I get my hamstring guys working really hard two days after a tear. Yeah, because you have to. Otherwise, you, you think about all this. The the body lays down a lot of immature fibers, and if you just let them there, kind of you know, lay down higgledy piggledy over the place, as opposed to putting some tensile load through it, they're not going to be as strong down the line. Mm. I, I, whether it's right or wrong, I call them the skinny guy in the gym. Yep. You know what I mean. So you need to get these new fibers getting stronger. Otherwise, yep. they're just going to still be the skinny guy in the gym. Yeah. You know. So. Um, players seem to get that. So. <laughs> it's funny. Like when I did it, it was just the reason I got on the front foot because I was like, this is not good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> felt it in my leg, like yeah. move up my leg. I was like, oh, mm, fuck. This hurts. Yeah. 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 Thankfully, I've never done a rec fem tear. I've done plenty of hamstrings, not plenty. I've done a yep. couple, but nah, rec fem tears. Yeah. I've seen, I've treated plenty in AFL players. Yep. Um, yeah. They're not fun. Nah. They're really bad. Yeah. They can be really bad. But, yeah. Um, yeah. If you if you rehab them right, they usually ride as rain. Yeah, yeah. Oh, touch wood. Yeah. Um, so we've spoken about the business, and we've spoken about um, you know your philosophy on certain aspects of mobility and treatment mm-hmm. and bits and pieces. Let's talk about you mm-hmm. and what you do. Mm-hmm. So you run the business. Yep. You're still on the tools. Yep. We have a six week old yep. now. What do you do for you? 
Uh, I try and fit in, uh, obviously that cycling stuff, I, f- I find really, really good. Getting out, and as I said, you have to be kind of on in the sense where you're riding, so you can't ride into things. Yep. I wouldn't want to sit, like, you could sit on a stationary bike, but I'd be pretty bored if I did oh, that for two hours, mate. so oh my God. It's like running on a treadmill. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh my, we live in Brisbane. Like, there is so much beautiful running out there. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, I used to drive, me and my mate, actually, this is part of what I do for me. Um, right or, rightly or wrongly, Friday afternoon, I knock off the tools, five o'clock-ish. I catch up with a mate, Story Bridge Hotel. Um, we start, we park our cars there, we go for a seven or eight K run, we go back there, we have a beer and then we go home. Yeah. Like it's my, that's my way of really just winding down the week and it's all about balance, right? If I've, I think that I've earned the right to have a beer at the end of a week. Yeah. I've also earned the right to be able to have a bit of a run and catch up with my mate. We, Mm. we basically, yeah, we talk about our week and we go, ah, that's done. Chapter done. First beer, happy days. Yeah. And, um, I find that's a really nice way that, um, I help kind of get, keep myself sane. Uh, which is nice and then as I said the cycling or the gym stuff is, is my me time Yeah, uh, I kind of like writing a little bit so I like <laughs> again physio nerd full disclaimer but I like writing blogs so mm-hmm. I've started doing a lot more of that in the last probably six months or so so we've got a few on our website uh, that, was, that was my next question so we, we talk about that so like stuff that I think is interesting we're gonna I'm starting to do um, um, so things like you know is running bad for your knees that mm. kind of stuff and you know, the answer is unequivocally no it's not bad for your knees mm. Um but uh, things like, um, you know, fact or fiction Friday for physios. Because there's a lot of, uh, with social media, it's great. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But there's also, it's not filtered anyway. So you get a lot of not so great stuff. As a, yeah. It's probably worse in your industry than ours. Oh, mate. <laughs> but we get a lot of guruism, probably more so from, you know, not so much physio. Because physio is pretty strict. Um, the API is really strict about, we have no testimonials, stuff like that. We can't have testimonials on our website. Yeah. Things like that, which I think is fine. But I think if you have... Um, it's really difficult for a patient or for the for the for um, the general punter to kind of differentiate those kind of people. So, mm. um, you know, someone who's like yourself, who's very client focused, who whatever else, um, and has a, a great degree of passion for the industry, it's very difficult to delineate you from someone who's driving a Range Rover who's trying to see seven people at once and yep. doesn't give a shit about them. And them that is go well, you know, you didn't rock up to your set, you know, you. I don't care what you do in your session as long as you rock up and you pay your money first and then I don't really care afterwards. Yeah, so, and I've seen a few of those PTs and they have a big Instagram following and you know that kind of stuff. And like, good luck to them. They're business savvy and they're, they're riding the wave. I kind of see, I was thinking about it this morning, I kind of see it almost like a bit of a, um, you know, the dot-com bubble in the share market used to be. Yeah. People got really excited by the internet stuff and I think we're probably going through that phase now with some of the, um, I'm hoping with some of the Instagram stuff where That'll fade out. It can't. It can't sustain itself on this kind of trajectory where mm. people that can't be the main source of where people get information from. Yeah. Because ultimately, like, there's going to be no ability to differentiate me from someone who's done a weekend online massage course, for example, mm. um, because they can say that they can cure all things. You know, mm. I've had people say that they can cure stress fractures in two weeks, and it's like, well, if you're doing that, then every major league sporting team in the world would pay you millions to be able to do that, <laughs> and. Yeah, and people like me who are unfortunately having to have the tough conversations with our coaches, with our you know support staff, and with our players more importantly, saying, "Sorry, mate, that is a long-term injury. You're in trouble, and I don't care what anyone says. It's not a two-week injury. Yeah. We have the scans to prove it. I've spoken to six doctors about it. I'm trying everything and I can to get you up and over the line, but it's not a two-week injury. But this I'm nasty sorry. over here is saying, and yeah. that's right. And but you know that person might then try that, try and go see that person and go, you know what, I'll give everything a crack because. People want to get back to playing this sport or be pain-free or whatever the case mm. may be. But 
ultimately, you know, you're probably paying for a wall in his house yeah. or his boat for the weekend. And, you know, or, you know, good luck to them. But I think they may genuinely believe that that's, they're doing something, but yeah, time will tell. Mm. We'll see. Well, the evidence, as I said, I'm very evidence-based. If the evidence doesn't tell me that, then I can't go out of my way and tell someone that that's going to happen yeah. because I can't, I can't say that. Uh, just on the social media stuff, mm. I find I see a lot of, it could be just the pages I follow and the data that's been mined out of my mm. accounts. Um, I, I find I get a lot of ads for recovery tools, mm. like the, the, the gun Yeah, the gun stuff, yeah. And like the, the yoga mat, the mats with... No, nails or stuff like that? Oh, just, oh, yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff, man. Oh my God. Um, what's, your, what's your opinion on that junk? Again, I think a lot... Yeah, junk's probably the right word. I think until you... This is... People are always after a quick fix, right? And I don't think... You know, 50 years ago, people... What we used to think was recovery is very different to now. Mm. Like, you know, I think there's some good some good data and some good um, studies on the AFL where they've given players a menu of uh, recovery modalities after a game. So that might be stretching, might be cold water immersion, might be foam rolling, might be, you know, on a bike. Mm. Now, they've been able to show that players will naturally self-select what things work best for them, not only physiologically, so as in their blood chemistry, but also psychologically. So mm. how they feel like they recover. So this is where the, you know, people ask me all the time, is ice bar, you know, what's the go with ice bars? You know, yada, yada, yada. It's like, well, it might work for that person in, in their chemical makeup. It might actually help them recover. And even if it doesn't, if they think they're recovering better, then usually they are. Yeah. So from my perspective, like people can use whatever it is that they want to do, but first principles is always a nice way to recover. If you've done a lot of activity, um, then you need to be making sure that that's in a, in a well thought out not just a snapshot of time. Mm. Load management is super important. So if if you run a marathon, I hope to God you've trained really well for that previous, yep. you know, nine, twelve months, or whatever the case may be, to get you to that point. Mm. As opposed to going, oh, there's a marathon next month. I'm going to give it a crack. You know, yeah. or and, and a marathon is a relative term. It could just be I want to deadlift 100. I want to be able to cycle for an hour. I want to be able to do whatever. Plan. Plan. You said that word. Plan. plan. If you're not, yeah, yeah not, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, as there they say. You go. So. Um, Geez, we've thrown out some cliches today. Yeah, that's write great. them down, people. I know, no, it's great. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, that's a good starting point. Uh, we kind of touched on sport. You play cricket as a Yeah, yeah. played cricket. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Farmer, Queensland, played lots of cricket up there, which was fun. Moved down here, played grade cricket in Brisbane, which was nice. Yep. Lucky to play a few first grade games. We won a couple of premierships, which is nice. Yeah, cool. Played with a lot of much better cricketers than me. I was a bit of a passenger on my side, to be honest. Yep. But we had guys like Chris Lynn and Matt Renshaw and yep. Cam Boyce and Ryan Harris. We had a lot of good players in our side. Yeah, so, cool. How long uh, ago was that? Um, I finished probably four or five years ago now. Yep. Um, we won 2013, yep. 2014. So that was, that was a really good side. But as I said, I was a bit of a passenger. Got I, the jersey, I, mate. I got, got the yeah, I got, I, got, I got the medallion. So, um, yeah, I, I was involved. I really like... I think I made an early decision like, early on that I was like, yeah, I'm not good enough to be a professional cricketer, but I really like cricket. Yeah. And I have a lot more passion for probably reading about the books or reading books and reading, um, you know, being a physio nerd than, than in being, being a cricket nerd, I suppose, if that makes sense. So yeah. I really enjoyed the training, but I, I think, I think I made the right decision in the end. Um, was it a natural progression from playing sport into physio or how, how did you get into physio? I vividly remember tearing a muscle at about 12 throwing a cricket ball. Mm-hmm. I changed, I got told to change the way that I threw 
I never forgot it because it hurt like hell. And then I went and saw a doctor and he told me some, looking <laughs> back on it, some terrible advice. <laughs> oh my God. Um, anyway, I was like, um, I thought it was a fact. Like, I was like, I didn't even know that was a way that people earned money. Like, I yeah. didn't know that was a profession. You could see someone when you get injured. How cool is this? Yeah, yeah. And then I got more fascinated. Less, as I said, it was a natural thing over time where I got less interested in the cricket side of things although I enjoyed it and it was a good outlet and I enjoyed the competitive nature of it I just enjoyed being well how can I get other people to perform better or get them back quicker and yeah, that's I, cool. I found that that was a I felt I was quite good at that and I enjoyed doing that so um, from that perspective that's how I got into it um, I I did as I said an exercise science degree first and I really enjoyed the training element around that yeah. it helped me with my cricket I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> which was good so I've learned a lot by doing as I said um, and yeah just kind of evolved from there physio was always in the in the pipeline for me for yeah. some reason I just always knew that I wanted to do this that's and, cool yeah it's good yeah I've been really lucky I've spoken to a lot of people who had no idea but I've you know pretty much as I said from 12 years onwards I was like this is what I want to do yeah cool so it was good um, going back to looking back on our mistakes mate fuck you can say that <laughs> anyway like, I use the example if I could go back to my and say to myself like when I first started in the mm. gym do this stuff yeah and you'll be fine yeah yeah Yeah, i think hindsight's a wonderful thing but you can't buy experience off the shelf like i think going through shit Mm. makes you better and as i said i like to think that i'm okay at what i do because i've been through a lot of may not be the same sport but Mm. i've been where you've been and i understand you want to get back and believe me i'm working as hard as you are to get you back and i think as long as a lot of my patients and a lot of my guys particularly with the footy and cricket they can see that I'm doing everything I can and I'm holding up my end of the bargain to go, I'm working my ass off. I'm looking at every avenue to get you back as quickly as I can. But ultimately, it's not often it's not your first game back, it's your best game back. So ACLs, we talk about that with those guys. That's a, you know, a nine to 12 month injury. We talk about, they go, will I ever be the same? And I'm like, well, you know, um, hopefully we'll return you a better athlete, often particularly in non-contact ACLs where they just kind of try and change direction and buckle under themselves. Mm. There's a number of reasons the research is pretty clear that why they do that. So if we address all those things, again, we just about highlighting, um, highlighting some of the problems that you may have. If we know those and improve those, then technically you should be going back as a better athlete. Although the, the, the research says that, you know, 18 months to two years sometimes before you play your best game back, mm. but we can get you back and we can get you stronger and faster and fitter and things like that. So, so it'd be a mental thing just being there. 100%. But I think if a lot of people latch onto that. They go, oh, you mean I can be better than what I was? Mm. I think if, and that's not, I don't believe that's a lot. I, I genuinely believe that that can happen. Um, as I said, particularly there's a lot of reasons as to why they do their non-contact ACLs in the first place. So I think if you can really give them something to train towards and focus on then they'll be they're athletes at the end of the day and there's not many times in people's career where you can take a year off and just get bloody fit and strong and do the right things for your sport that isn't focused on the skill side of things or training or whatever the case may be it's like great we are going to remodel your body so you are ready to hit the ground running and then you'll be you'll be away so Um, that's a, uh, again it's a nice thing for players to kind of latch onto in those really dark early days when they go shit I've just done an ACL this is a big deal yeah fuck yeah exactly A lot of, and they go shit I've done an ACL I'm like yeah you have it yeah. sucks believe me I haven't done an ACL I've treated, an, uh, like I've treated a bucket load it does suck but I know what's coming and yeah. you're going to be a really good athlete when you return and you're going to be great and you're going to have no problems so as long as you can kind of give them that hope at the end of the tunnel then mm. you're fine um, obviously the health and fitness industry is a massive combination of 
things and some maybe it's a monster yeah. yeah some may be bullshit some may be like fact and fiction mm-hmm. what is your opinion on things um like vitamins helping with um you know uh how, how do i learn this but like uh, helping like muscle health sure i think if you're if you're at a deficit and again the Full disclaimer, this is my area of expertise, this is my general understanding after working with some really good dietitians in elite sport. Mm. I think if you are if you have some particular things that you don't, um, uh, you're not getting your diet for whatever the case may be, yep. then by all means, um, supplements are the way. It's in the word, isn't it? It's to yeah, supplement, yeah. right? Exactly. It's not to replace. Mm. Now, there's certain things that we know um, work really well um, for certain conditions. So we know when we travel overseas to India, for example, we, a lot of the guys take zinc to help their immune system on planes. We know that you can, um, you know, things like chewing gum to restop, reduce your risks of upper respiratory tract infections, stuff like that, keeping water up, uh, hydrations, pivotal. It's so really, really important. Um, and then taking probiotics while you're in India, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that they tend to help, uh, not necessarily the gastro itself, for example, but it may reduce the severity and the, and the duration. Yeah. So those things are really important from day to day life. As I said, if there's, you know, things like, are you talking magnesium, fish oils? Bingo, those there, two. There's stuff like that. Like we know, um, uh, green lip muscle, for example, in New Zealand, um, okay. has been shown to reduce symptoms of some knee osteoarthritis. Mm. And they found that obviously because some of the Maoris over there would eat, that was predominantly in their diet and they had a reduced incidence of knee, um, osteoarthritis. We know that that's a predominantly because it's a really strong anti-inflammatory. Yep. Same with tumor things like that um, and fish oils they're all been shown because they're anti-inflammatory now if you have an inflammatory condition like osteoarthritis then of course it should help you yeah it'll help reduce some of the symptoms it won't reduce the cause so um, that's where someone like myself will come in and help help with some of that mm. so I think in short there are places for it um, you know there's things like you know stress fractures for some people they may not be getting the uptake of um, vitamin D and calcium that they need so that's a nice way to supplement their diet or help them out in that sense. Yeah. But, um, look, I think a multi, someone, this is not my, not my quote, but I think one of my lecturers at uni said, it's a really nice way to have expensive pee. Yeah. Basically. So, um, that's kind of stuck with me the most. Yeah, okay. So if you're a young fit athlete or person who's training hard, I think you saw protein is a different story in itself. We know mm-hmm. that that's really, really important for helping you recover. Yep. But general multivitamins, for example, may not necessarily be... If you've got a good diet, for example. Yeah. So that's my understanding, at least. So Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, as we wind down, I always like to finish um, my chats with people with sections of advice. Sure. Um, so from a physio point of view, what's some advice you'd give to average people trying to tackle health and fitness? Look, I think, I think it's really important you find the why. I think if you can find what you're doing it for, then when it gets tough, you'll have something to fall back on. For sure. I think, yeah, that, that's a really, like it's, I know it's a really generic statement to say what's your why, but mm. if you're doing it for your own mental well-being, like I train, I run Mondays or I run Fridays for my own mental well-being just because it's like, I need that release. If I don't have that me time, even if it's just listening to music or running with my mate, then I, I know that I suffer for that. Um, you know, I may not be as clear or whatever the case may be, but if people find their why then that's easy and i think if you're a social person then make it social i find that you got to have an element of someone's got to keep you accountable yeah so as long as you've got and that may be a pt that's why again i really like having a pt um um, to refer to because it's like great 
I know that if this person goes to that person, that PT, then they're at least going to get a few sessions done per week, and th- that PT is going to keep them accountable. If I send them out in the big bad world, you know, with just a you know an email with some YouTube links about how to do the exercise, mm. they may or may not do that as well as what I would hope, or as often as I'd hope. Yeah. So having some knowing your why and finding a way to keep accountable is a really nice way of of, of starting that journey, I suppose. Yeah. What's some advice you would give? Uh, to just the average person or shit, even an elite athlete mm-hmm. who's coming in to see a physio? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the general advice is um, make sure you leave, before you leave, you've had everything, you understand what's going on. As I said early on, I thought I was, in my younger days of physios, as, as all things, as I said, you can't buy experience. When, when I used to say to people, yep, that's our session, I just thought, damn, I did such a good job there. I nailed that. And then yeah. the next week they come back and going, yeah, look, I didn't quite, or, you know, a coach would tell me he hasn't, he doesn't know why he's not playing. Can you, can you explain to him why he's not playing? And yeah. You're like I, I did. I thought I spent like, you know, a good 25 minutes explaining to him what's going on. He obviously got none of it yeah. and he's just being polite. Mm. So I think make sure you leave with a very clear idea. And if it hasn't been explained clearly to you or it doesn't make sense to you, that's the other thing, then go, well, you know, raise that. Because it needs to, you need to know again. You need to understand why things are happening for you to be on board. Mm. And I, as I said, I spend a lot of time with my patients trying to explain that to them. So that's probably the biggest thing. Go in with, um, be really clear with your history. I think if you have a good idea of what's going on, then hopefully a good physio will ask you about your history, about what's going on. You know, mm. what have you done for the last six months? What's your training history? What's your injury? You know, I'll. I, it's a game of 20 questions at the end of the day. You yeah. ask, ask enough right questions, you'll get the right answers and then a physio is pretty easy to be honest. Yeah. What's some advice you would give yourself starting off as a physio? Jesus. Um, I think don't be so hard on yourself. I think I was guilty of um, comparing myself because I, I, I said I read a lot of literature, I, I read a lot of books um, on physio, I listen to a lot of podcasts and you compare yourself to these guys who are doing PhDs or they've made their entire career out of a particular condition. Mm. And then if you listen to 15 podcasts about 15 particular conditions, you, you think, I know none of it. Like, this is really hard. But then you realize, you know, this person's done hips their entire life. They are a gun at hips. Yeah, yeah. That's what they do. They literally do not see anything else. Of course, they're going to be good at it. You know, I don't go to a dentist to get my car oil changed. You know, mm. don't be so hard on yourself. Um, and um, and keeping, as you say, keeping hungry, keeping passionate, and being patient patient centric. The moment you lose sight that you're treating a person and not a disease or, or you know a pathology, then you're gonna you're gonna be, uh, be have some problems. I think so. You got to make sure that you're treating that person as best you can. Yeah. What's some advice you would give to people who are looking into sports science, um, ex- exercise phys or mm. physio or massage as <coughs> study? Uh, I think it's a wonderful career. I think um, as an ex phys which is what I first did. I found it was it was a very different um, world back then. We there was very limited opportunities for work. I think that's coming up. The industry itself is coming along in leaps and bounds, where they're getting referred by GPs now. I think it's a much more accepted thing that exercise is medicine, which is um, it's an unbelievable message. I really really like that. I'm a massive believer in that. So I think if you're you got to be in it for the right reasons. I think at the end of the day essentially almost think of it like a service industry you're here to help other people and as long as you're okay with that some people aren't okay with that mm. some people are out to make money this is the wrong in health is the wrong thing yep. to try and make money in relative to other other industries like you know a ceo of a, <laughs> i'm not gonna call myself a ceo but me as a director of my business mm. compared to a ceo of the you know 
Commonwealth Bank or whatever the case may be, they're just stratosphere apart in terms yeah. of you know, of monetary remuneration. So I think if you're doing it for money, it's probably the wrong wrong industry. I think if you're here to help people, it's an unbelievably rewarding um, journey that you can go on as a career. And I've been super fortunate. I've been able to travel with sporting teams around the world and get paid to watch sport. It's unbelievable. Um, but uh, as I said, at the end of the day, if you get a lot of satisfaction out of helping other people, it's an unbelievable career. Yeah, cool. What's finally, what's one piece of advice or one little statement or whatever that you have to tell yourself now? Uh, I have a bit of a life saying, um, festina lente, which is Latin for make haste slowly. Mm. So I've really, I'm a, similar to you, I feel like I would, I'm driven and I want to do lots of stuff. Stuff takes time yep. and you can't be so hard. You've got to make, be busy, but just realize things take time yep. and that's okay. Yeah. You can't get everything done today because anything worth doing takes time and takes effort. And mm. as long as you're putting in that effort consistently and showing up every day, staying hungry, as you said, then that's a nice one. So make haste slowly is my, is, I have to remind myself all the time. Yeah, okay. cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, su- sweet. We've been having a chat for just over an hour and a half, man. Oh, yeah. and flies by. Hasn't it? Yeah. Um, for everyone who wants to check out Praxis on all the socials, it is Praxis Physio on all the social platforms. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. And the website is praxisphysio.com.au. You can jump on, see all the practitioners, see all the services they offer. It's physio, mm. it's massage, it's Pilates. Um, we spoke about the reformer Pilates earlier. Um, outside of that, mate, it has been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been uh, it's been excellent. It's been uh, my first podcast in a while, so it's been good. Excellent, it's been really good. cool. Excellent. Um, all right, guys, that wraps up another episode of the Back Yourself podcast. Um, be it rehab, be it exercise, be it eating well, whatever you got to do, you just got to back yourself. All right, guys, see you next episode. Bye.